You're listening to Matt Walsh On Demand. Welcome to the Matt Walsh Podcast. Uh, you know, I, w- I was thinking about the, the debate. Um, when was that? Wednesday? It feels like it was two days long, but it was Wednesday. And, uh, of course, after a 16-hour marathon debate, I'd say we basically learn everything that we already knew, which is mostly that, mostly that a, a debate with 11 freaking people on stage is an utterly pointless exercise. And I think that debates are certainly important in theory but when you when you crowd the house with almost a dozen candidates it becomes more of a venue of course for sound bites and histrionics and posturing and rehearsed comebacks and all that um uh, and naturally whoever's the best at sound bites and histrionics and posturing and rehearsed comebacks will emerge the winner but but nobody will ever be able to explain why we should elect somebody president just because they were able to you know, come up with a snappy comeback and we're all like, ooh, take that. The, the, the ability to bring that reaction out of people, it's a, it's, a, it's a good ability to have, but does it mean that you should be president? And of course, it's, very, it's, it's valuable to see candidates articulate, defend their views, but with a, with, a, with a small army of politicians competing for attention, there isn't a lot of time for substance. Um. And it's, uh, people will say, well, you know, debates have always been this way. But I, see, I don't know. I, I think we've reached a point where I'm not sure that debate, I don't know, what do we actually gain from debates? I think they're pointless. Which isn't to say that they're not, um, that they don't have an effect. I think they have a great effect. They probably have more of an effect now than, than they've ever had. In that, if you have a bad debate performance as a presidential candidate, these days, it could derail. I mean, look at Rick Perry. He had one bad debate performance, and it derailed his entire political career. So if, if you choke on camera one time, that could, just, that could be it for you. Uh, Marco Rubio it took him like five years to recover from taking a drink of water when he was giving his, uh, what was that, the, the response to the State of the Union address. It took him years to recover from that. Just one awkward moment. So debates have a great effect and impact but i think that's the problem with them now because the impact is based on nothing substantive uh, and i think it used to be i mean i don't know you go back and you read the uh, lincoln douglas debates 1858 and it seems like it, people of course weren't watching the debates at least most people in the country weren't watching them so they would read the transcripts in the uh, newspaper the next day and so they were just reading the, the exchanges. They were reading um, the ideas that these men had. And it was an actual discussion and sort of argument back and forth. And nobody was trying to score points with like a cool line that they rehearsed ahead of time. They were trying to prove their point. It was an actual debate. They were trying to say, my idea is better. Here's why. But that's not the case anymore. People, they come armed with their, with their cool line. And uh, I mean, look at Carly Fiorina. She had some great lines that she came to the debate prepared to use. And then she used them to great effect. Okay. And then her numbers go up in the polls the next day, I, I assume. 
But for what reason? Because she because she had a nice line that she why 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 should you be more likely to vote her president because she had a nice line in a debate? Makes no sense. When you see the poll numbers fluctuate wildly after debates, why? Whatever you thought about a candidate going in, there's really no reason for it to be changed after he gets, you know, 10 minutes cumulative to speak at a debate. There's no reason. Whatever you thought about him you, or her, you should probably still think that thing. There's really nothing that happened that should have changed it, honestly. Um, and I say you get 10 minutes. Well, you know, D- Donald Trump in this past debate got almost... Almost as much time as Rand Paul and Ted Cruz combined. Twice as much as Scott Walker. Twice as much as Huckabee. Of course, he used it to brag about his money and call people ugly, but at least he was given the opportunity to offer a deep insight or two. He declined the invitation, but he was giving the opportunity. And this is one of the reasons why Trump groupies, I think, should stop complaining. Should stop complaining in general, but they should stop complaining that the media is trying to destroy their man. Because really, uh, you know, on the contrary, the media made their man, continues to make him. The media talks about Trump, they report on Trump, they obsess over Trump during the debates. Even the questions that aren't to Trump are about Trump. Half of the questions are to Trump. The other half are about Trump to the other candidates. The other half are, uh, well, Scott Walker, Donald Trump thinks this. What do you think about what Donald Trump thinks? Donald Trump is a creation of the media. Just like Obama was in 2008. Without the media, Trump would be out in Hollywood or New York right now preparing to host the next season of, uh, you know, The Apprentice. And the Republican Party wouldn't be as much of a laughingstock. But because of the media's continued efforts to train all of their cameras on Donald Trump at all hours of the day, the abomination of the Trump campaign continues to chug along. Um, so as far as debate analysis goes, I, uh, well, it's too late now. I mean, it's, it seems everyone else in, in the blogging world, you know, they got their reactions posted within, within 30 seconds of the debate being over. Uh, I woke up the next day and wrote something on Facebook and I was already behind the times. So now here we are a few days later. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, uh, you know, give me my, give you the, um, belated debate grades. But a, a few things that I've been thinking about ever since the debate, just, just general observations about these candidates um, that I want to I run through here. First of all, Carly Fiorina um, performed well. She, it seems like she tends to perform well in debates and interviews and things. In the debate, her closing statement was uh, compelling. Her answer on Planned Parenthood was, was stirring. Her comeback to Donald Trump's comment about her face was smart. She had used it several times before the, before the debate, but that, that was good. Uh, she made Donald Trump look like an imbecile, but of course, that's not a difficult thing to do. Um, she had uh, good answers on things. Uh, I'm still very hesitant about about her about her track record ideologically on the issues and because of her business track record. And she had a good answer on the business track record when she was asked during the debate. She had an answer for it. Um, but the fact remains that HP, she was a CEO of HP for five or six years. And during that time, the company collapsed. She says we were in the middle of a t- technology you know, recession, and we were. She says that's the reason for it. Uh, that might be true. You know, honestly, I don't know. 
But the fact, fact remains that she outsourced thousands of jobs overseas when she was a CEO. And then she was fired with a, I think it was like a $24 million golden parachute. So whether she has logical explanations for these points or not, and I suspect that, you know, most situations like this, it's somewhere in between. She says that the fate of the company, the problems of the company had nothing to do with her. Um, maybe Donald Trump says they had everything to do with her. Probably a little bit of both. But really, it, it sort of doesn't matter. Because whether she has logical explanations for these points, it's still something that was used very effectively against her when she made a failed bid for the Senate in California. And I believe would be used just as effectively if she made it to the general election. Fair or not, that's just how it is. All they, you know, she's running against Hillary Clinton. If that was the case. All Hillary Clinton would need to do is uh, just go find some former employees, and there are thousands of them, of HP who were, you know, employees under Carly, Carly, under Carly Fiorina. Find the ones who were fired and their jobs were outsourced. And just start putting together attack ads about what a terrible person she is, what an incompetent leader, so on and so forth. Some of it might be true, some of it won't be. But this gift of, okay, the economy is important, and here we, we're, the Republicans are putting up this millionaire who outsourced a bunch of jobs to India and then was given $20 million to go, to go leave and sail away on her private yacht or whatever she has. I mean, that's such a gift to Democrats. Such a gift. It, I mean, it's so easy to use that against her. Um, it, it, but it's also very obvious to me that with Fiorina, she gets graded on a curve because of her gender. And many conservatives, while decrying the left for playing identity politics, will still suggest that Fiorina's gender should be seen as a huge selling point. And they'll say that it's okay for us to play identity politics uh, because... Because, well, the liberals started it, I guess. But for me, you know, I'll consider Fiorina the same as I consider everyone else, and I couldn't care less that she's a woman. As a candidate, she's performed uh, well in the debates. She's well-prepared. She's sharp. But her history gives me pause because she's got a, a history of liberal, liberal positions. She's got a history of aligning herself with the establishment of the Republican Party. She's weak on a lot of issues. I think she's unhinged on foreign policy. She gets up there during the debate and says, I won't even talk to Putin. I don't even... Why? See, this is what I don't get about Republicans. It's like they, they've got this obsession with... It's, you got so many Republicans just itching to go to war with Russia for no apparent reason. Um, so I'm, I'm not a big fan of that. But aside from that, I think she's, she's weak on most of the issues. Um, and I, I will say that if you support Fiorina, then you should also support Chris Christie because he's based, Chris Christie is the female Fiorina... Um, as far as, you know, attitude and performance in the debates and also their ideological history. I think the only thing that separates them besides biology and other physical, you know, characteristics is that Christie has experience governing. So I would suggest that Fiorina fans take a look at him. Um, I really can't conceive of a single reason to dismiss him if you love Fiorina. Uh, personally, I'm skeptical of both of them. I, I wouldn't vote for either of them. Although I'd vote for both of them over Trump, but then again, I'd vote for a piece of, of uh, you know, sentient driftwood over Trump, so it doesn't really tell you much. 
Uh, ben Carson, I'll reiterate my stance that I believe Ben Carson is a good and decent man. I like Ben Carson. I've always liked Ben Carson. That said, uh, I've yet to see him present any evidence that he's ready to be president. No, I like him, but the only reason he's running for president is his whole presidential campaign is basically based on the fact that he um, got up at the prayer breakfast back in 2011 or 2012, whenever that was, and attacked Obama, which I thought was great. But my point is that without that, he wouldn't be running for president. So, and the fact that he insulted Obama at the prayer breakfast is, I mean, it's, it's fine. Uh, he called Obama out, I should say. But does that mean we make him president? Now, I would certainly take a virtuous and unfit commander-in-chief in the White House instead of an evil and competent one. But I see no reason to lend him my support at this stage when there are still candidates who potentially combine both the virtue and the competency. Uh, and, and so I hope that Ben Carson is in somebody's cabinet, I also, but I also hope that he drops out soon so that his support can go to someone other than Trump. Um, I don't think that's going to happen, but I also don't see that, he, that he's elected president. And I think there are a lot of anti-Trump votes in Ben Carson's support group that if he dropped out, could go to someone like Ted Cruz. Jeb Bush, um, you know, I continue to be embarrassed for him. He had a chance to, to smack Trump around for dis- disrespecting his wife, and he backed down awkwardly, which, as I've said, I think that backing down awkwardly might as well be Bush's campaign slogan at this point. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty pathetic. I'm not going to cry any tears for him. Jeb Bush will be fine. But it, it, it just seems to me that his presidential campaign has been a just total disaster, which is, which is great, by the way. Uh, Rubio, you know, I, I, I soured on Rubio back when he supported amnesty a few years back. Um, and there are still a lot of people that are anti Rubio for that reason. A lot of Trump fans that bring that up, but you know, we all seem willing to forgive past mistakes with Donald Trump. We're forgiving like everything he didn't said up until, uh, three years ago, right? We're forgiving all of that, or at least Trump fans are, they're forgiving everything. His entire life, they're forgiving. Yeah, with somebody like Rubio, they can't, they can't forgive one or two votes that he made in the midst of an otherwise uh, conservative record. It makes no sense. For my part, um, yeah, I, I, am, I, I am always hesitant to, to forgive politicians and candidates for their past mistakes, only because I'm worried that their past mistakes were not, were not in fact mistakes but were a reflection of who they were and continue to be. But at the same time, Rubio's an impressive politician, and I'm, I guess I'm sort of running out of reasons to not support him. I think with Ted Cruz, the media is obviously scared of Ted Cruz. Uh, in both the Fox and CNN debate, he's been snubbed by the moderators. When he does get a shot, he's very commanding. I'd wish he'd get more time to make his case. But I don't really need to see him in the debates to know that, you know, he would have my vote if the election were today. He's right on most of the issues. He's, he has an impressive resume. He knows a lot about constitutional law. He's a legal scholar. Uh, he knows how to make his case. The only problem is that he tends to speechify more than speak like an actual human being. And I really think that's hurting him. And it shouldn't hurt him because it's just a stylistic flaw and it doesn't mean anything. But uh, in America, that hurts you. That hurts you big time. That could be the difference between being present or not. So he needs to, to learn how to uh, you know, answer a question without launching into a speech. Just answer the question like I am right now. Just, just answer the question. 
Just just speak like a person. I think he needs to do that. But otherwise, I like him. The only other issue I have with Cruz is that he hasn't gone after Trump. He's kind of aligned himself with Trump. And I understand that he's hoping to inherit Trump's supporters once, if God willing, uh, Trump leaves the race. But uh, I think he's degrading himself by, by aligning with a, with a left-wing phony. It's disappointing, but I, I guess um, because I understand the political strategy behind it, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll allow it for right now. Rand Paul is a, a mystery to me. Not, not himself, but the lack of support. Rand Paul should have much more support than he does, in my opinion. He's the only one who consistently talks about shrinking the government, protecting states' rights. One of a few Republicans who's not itching to uh, you know, get into the White House and start a war on the first day. Uh, which is one big issue I have with most of these candidates, that, that many of them seem like they're inexplicably itching to uh, invade Russia send troops back into Iraq, Syria, Libya, Iran. I mean, it really seemed that war hawking briefly went out of style in the Republican base because people were exhausted after years of war in the Middle East. But uh, if these Republicans are any indication, then it seems that war fever is definitely back. And Rand Paul articulates a, it's not a, it's not a foreign policy that's, I think he articulates just a reasonable foreign policy that very much reflects what our founding fathers said which is that we're not supposed to be in perpetual war. You know, war is more of a defense mechanism. Um, But Rand Paul is up there trying to explain how, you know, there's a happy medium between perpetual warfare and weakness. He's trying to explain how it makes no sense to pick fights with Putin over Ukraine and Syria. I mean, what is it? Are we going to go to war over Ukraine? We're going to go to war to keep, let Putin have Syria. Who cares? He's trying to explain that, uh, you know, we don't need to be sending troops into war-torn countries to die in the middle of someone else's civil war. He's trying to explain and nobody cares. Because small restrained governments, and states' rights for that matter, uh, have, it turns out, never actually been a core principle of the Republican Party. All the Republicans talk about it, but whenever a candidate, if you notice, whenever a candidate actually threatens to implement these things, small government states' rights, He's immediately cast out into the wilderness. You know, Republican voters take the Tea Party, for example. So we want small government. We want small government. And then a candidate comes along and says, all right, let's do it. And, and, and most of these people, even in the Tea Party, say, oh, no, you're crazy. Get out of here. So you have all these Tea Partiers uh, supporting Donald Trump. It's just like... <laughs> I mean, if you were in the Tea Party and now you support Donald Trump, then, you, then the, the Tea Party meant nothing. It, you never cared about small government. You only, you only cared about Democrats being in charge of a big government. You just wanted Republicans in charge of the big government. That's all you wanted, basically. Uh, Scott Walker is fine. He should drop out. Huckabee is, uh, is, is fine. He's great on religious freedom and social issues. Very convincing and bold on that front. Uh, I like that about him. He's not going to win, though. He should drop out and let his social conservative supporters go to someone like Ted Cruz, who's just as socially conservative. Um, Donald Trump. Yeah, really, I, I, I'm tired of talking about Donald Trump. Of course, Donald Trump proved once again in the debate, he proves all the time that he's a rambling, incoherent, totally unqualified circus act. 
He was beaten silly by Fiorina, which is which is interesting for someone who's supposedly such a fighter. Such a fighter. He just got beaten silly by her. Uh, if you noticed, his foreign policy is, uh, he says, to, quote, get along. And when asked for specifics on that, he said that uh, he'd know more about the subject later. So get back to him. But he promised that he's very mil- militaristic. He just doesn't know what to do with the military, but he'll figure it out. Um, of course, in his closing statement, he uh, pledged to uh, do something special. Did explain what that was. Even on his supposed signature issue, immigration, he continues to claim that he'll deport 11 million people and then immediately let most of them back in. Which, which you know, between that and just figuring out a way to give them a path to citizenship before making them leave, I don't see really the, the difference in the two strategies. Other than the latter strategy is probably less expensive. But other than that, I don't see much of a difference. Beyond that, I mean, almost all the candidates pledged to build a fence. Most of them plan to, uh, you know, enforce immigration laws, or at least they say they will. Uh, many of them agree on the ending birthright citizenship thing. So this, so, you know, he really is not separate from the pack even on this issue. And on everything else, Trump makes very little sense. Um, he seems to be in his element when he's calling people losers or insulting their looks. But beyond that, he, uh, he, um, he doesn't have much to say. And, this, and, 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 and you find out that he's really not a fighter. He's really just a witless little boy. He's a liberal. Also, he's, he's bad on the issues. He's a man of low integrity, no character. Um, he looks like a fool when stacked up against sharp and intelligent people. He's a disgrace in every imaginable way. And that's all there is to say about him. So if you support him, this, and, this, and this is the, the invitation that I want to um, uh, put out there, that uh, if you support him, and now you're starting to see the, the truth about this guy, and you're starting to, to, to awake, awaken from your, uh, from, your, uh, uh, from your delirious state that you've been in for the last couple of months supporting this, this fraud, you can come back. Come back to the light. Come back to reality. You know, we here in the, the, in the reality, we will embrace you and forgive you for what you've done. We will forgive you. Like the prodigal son. You know, you went out and uh, you, you, uh, you did a lot of crazy things supporting Donald Trump for no reason. And now, and now you want to come back and we will embrace and forgive you. So come back. I mean, if you're an honest person and you watch this guy, you're watching the debates, you, you hear what he has to say, you have to see what he really is, which is a total, absolute, incompetent fraud. You have to see that. I know you do. Everyone sees it. So... It's okay to just, don't be embarrassed, come back. Just come back. We want you to come back. And we'll forgive you, okay? All right. So to recap, uh, Fiorina and Christie are good at debates. Carson's a good man. Cruz is a great conservative. Rubio's intriguing. Bush is sad. Walker and Huckabee are fine, but should leave the race. Uh, Rand Paul is what conservatives claim to want, but uh, then they don't vote for him, which proves they don't actually want it at all. John Kasich is, uh, is uh, someone. Bobby Jindal, I think, should be in the main debates. I like him. Lindsey Graham is an effeminate John McCain. George Pataki is great for anyone who really you know, pines for the days when Rudy Giuliani ran for president. Um, Rick Santorum I like, but no one else seems to this time around. And Donald Trump is Donald Trump, which is about the worst thing I could say about anyone. So 
I think that's where we're standing right now in the in the Republican field. All right. I'm glad I could clear that up for everybody. All right. Thanks for listening. That'll do it for me. I'll uh, talk to you guys uh, next week. Have a great weekend. Acruce salus. Godspeed, everybody.